something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Happy Pride Month, everyone. This week in celebration of Pride, we're re-releasing several of our favorite LGBTQIA plus stories that we've recorded since February. If you missed them the first time around, you've got a real treat ahead of you. And if you've already heard them, we promise they're just as amazing the second time. First up today, we are revisiting our conversation with Walter Nagel, and this was one of my favorite interviews that we've done. Walter fought to overcome countless obstacles to love, including the illegality of his own marriage. If you're not allowed to marry your partner, what if you adopt them instead? Keep listening to hear the whole incredible story. Today, we've got a very special guest who is more than familiar with legal and social obstacles to love. Walter Nagel has been an instrumental figure in the battle for LGBTQ rights. His partner was civil rights legend Bayard Rustin in the 1970s and 80s. And together, they are famous for finding an ingenious loophole in the law's ban on same-sex marriage civil adoption. This episode came to be because I subscribe to a wonderful daily newsletter called the Anti-Racism Daily. 
And in February, they do a email curated museum exhibit, one item per day for Black History Month. Last year and this year, they talked about Bayard Rustin. In the email by Nicole Cardoza, Camille Bethune-Brown, and Shanae Birch, they wrote that Bayard Rustin was an openly gay, Black strategist, pacifist, and innovative civil rights activist. His book, Time on Two Crosses, is a collection of essays and photos that offer his perspective on the civil rights movement at the time. Are you familiar with Bayard Rustin at all, Alicia? I was not familiar until you sent me that article and, and I sort of got up to speed. Brief recap. Yeah, please. Brief recap. Walter and Baird were partners from 1977 until Baird's death in 1987. They were 37 years apart in age, and this is important later. They were very active in the civil rights movement, but Baird in particular helped organize the March on Washington in the 40s and 60s and in 1963, the big one that you might remember from many, many newscasts. Mm -hmm. There is a very famous photo that still shocks me to my core of the physical document organizing the March on Washington, like the actual typed up document. This is how we're going to make this happen. Here's where the toilets are. Here's where the routes are. Here's where people are coming from. The actual logistical manual, Baird helped write that. His name is on the cover. Throughout the civil rights movement, he worked behind the scenes with many of the people you have probably heard of. He was discriminated against, not only because he was black, but because he was gay. Rumors were spread that Bayard had a sexual relationship with Martin Luther King, meant to destabilize the whole movement. And as a result, King was advised to distance himself from Bayard. Now, this is the man who can organize all the things. He is being sidelined. In the 70s, of course, as you probably remember, gay couples were not afforded familial rights as heterosexual couples were. These included things like property law, tax law, hospital visitation, parental rights and inheritance. All of those things were limited for gay couples. And because of the age difference and because Baird, they assumed, would probably die before Walter, he wanted to make sure that Walter was the executor of his estate and his heir. And so I love clever brilliance. And it makes me sad that this is what they had to do. But at the same time, I admire the ingenuity. Baird legally adopted Walter as his son in order to obtain family rights, and that was the most legally binding option available at the time. Their relationship opened up discussions about legal rights for same-sex couples, and after Baird's death, Walter continued to support and continue Baird's legacy. He accepted the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2013 on Baird's behalf. And now the Baird-Rustin Coalition promotes education and advocacy for social change, both for the Black community and for same-sex couples. And when I read this email, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we could talk about this relationship and maybe find a historian? No, 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 no. Please welcome Walter Nagel. It is, it is such an honor to speak to you. I'm so excited to ask you many questions. Thank you so much for doing this. It's, it's an honor to talk to you. Thank you. Well, I'm just an ordinary guy who had an extraordinary boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> well, that's lovely. pretty much what we want to ask you about. How did you first meet? I first met Byard quite by chance on a street corner, right in Times Square of all places. Um, we were just standing there waiting for a light to change, and we looked at each other, and that was it. 
Do you remember that moment clearly even now? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I remember because, um, you know, Bayard was noted for carrying a walking stick and he didn't have one that day. I mean, I, I knew I knew who Bayard Rustin was, but I didn't have a visual reference, really, an in-person right. reference. So I didn't see he didn't have a stick. But of course, as soon as he introduced himself, then I, I immediately knew who he was. What did you think when you first saw him? Do you remember what you noticed first? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was absolutely <laughs> gorgeous, uh, roughly six foot one, older African-American man with wonderful white hair, very dressed very neatly, very nicely in a suit, very tailored, very well turned out, and, and a wonderful smile. Just that, you know, really, like, who could ask for more? I mean, I know there are people that could, but like me, I, that was right there. That was good for me. It's always the smile you notice first, right? For me, it is. Yeah, yeah I'm really, for me uh, too. I'm really a, a, basically a face guy. <laughs> so after you met and you had this moment of being thunderstruck by this incredibly handsome person with a gorgeous smile, how did you, did you go on a date? Did you talk? Did you just sort of follow him down the street? What happened next? Do you remember the early parts of your courtship? Yeah, well, I, I, at the time we met, I was actually on my way to a newsstand in Times Square, which sold papers from all over the United States and all over the world. And I had decided at that point that I was going to move out of New York and move out to San Francisco. So I was on my way to get a San Francisco Chronicle to start looking at jobs and apartments and things like that. I mean, this was in the days before internet, of course. So we have old-fashioned newspapers with advertisements and want ads and classifieds. Uh, so I, you know, I went and got the paper, but uh, never quite made it to San Francisco. So, um, you know, I, I went got the paper, went back to Bard's, and we, and we came back to his apartment and started chatting and courting. Wow! So you were actually on a street corner, and also at almost a crossroads in your life. You were about to move, and you ended up on the same street corner as this person who completely changed the trajectory of your life. That's right. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I swear, if, if you stand on a corner in Times Square long enough, everybody in the world will pass you by at some point. That is absolutely true. That very is, true. That is but very I, wasn't, true. I wasn't standing there waiting. I, no. I, that I confess. Wow. What was your impression of, of him? My, my husband calls it the hold all calls, we have a winner moment. Well, once I, once I knew who he, you know, once he introduced himself and I knew who he was, I had a, um, you know, I'm tempted to say we had a history, but if of course, obviously, we didn't have a history. What we did, we did share was a set of values, and a I knew about his work and his involvement in certainly the African American struggle at that point. And mm-hmm. I was somebody that had grown up, you know, seeing this stuff on television and reading about it in the newspapers, and I was very interested in it. I was very taken with it, and the whole idea of nonviolence. Um, appealing to your enemy or your opponents, I would say, well, I didn't have enemies, to your opponents, uh, a heart and mind through the force of, of, of love and openness was something that I found very appealing when I was a young person. So, uh, we, you know, we shared, we had a commonality, we shared a set of values and ideas and principles. And so that's really what enabled us to have a long-term relationship. That's what makes a, a marriage, if you will. 
Absolutely. Now, I know you weren't able to get married, and so Baird adopted you. Correct. Which is a very clever and effective workaround to the laws that prohibited you from, from enjoying a lot of the legal benefits of being together at that time. I love the idea that this is the situation. We're going to find a way to get around it for, for each other and for our safety. And there are so many little legal things that get in the way when you're trying to care for someone if you're not their spouse. It's, it's all of these little, little um, obstacles that that gets rid of. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we experienced that. And that was one of the reasons we decided to proceed with the adoption. Bard was 37 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew that if we were both to live out our natural lifespans, um, which was not a guarantee, especially at that time after the, you know, AIDS coming in, yeah. um, that, um, but you know, if we were, if that were to happen, um, he would die before me mm-hmm. and he wanted me to be in charge of his estate and to manage his writings and his papers and, you know, all, all of his property. Uh, because we had heard the stories of couples, you know, yeah. that had just had trouble. I mean, you'd be visiting your partner in the hospital, your partner of 30 or 40 years, and suddenly a quote-unquote family member would show up who you hadn't even met, and like you were out of there. Yep. Because there was no legal protection, and that was just outrageous. So Absolutely. we really felt um, we needed that protection. And of course, you know, when he did become ill, uh, I was the person that had to give consent for, you know, to move forward with surgery and things like that. So, um, you know, it worked out for us. But of course, I, you know, I think about, sometimes I think about, well, it worked out for us, maybe partly because he was, you know, he was a bit of a celebrity, mm-hmm. made things a little bit easier. And I think about all the people out there that didn't have perhaps that uh, status or the privilege, mm-hmm. if you will, that mm-hmm. had to suffer through humiliation and embarrassment and all of that kind of thing. because they were not uh, able to, to marry legally. Yeah. How did people respond to the adoption? And now we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because the story will continue. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, people were fine with it, amused on some level sometimes, especially our close friends. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah, we would show up at, uh, sometimes we would show up at dinners and if they had a place card, it would say Bayard Rustin and Son, something like that, <laughs> um, which, was all, which was all very cute. But yeah, everybody was, uh, you know, comfortable with it. It wasn't public information. I mean, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't an announcement on the society page of the New York Times. No. But, you know, a- a- anybody who was part of our life knew about it. My family, yeah. his, his family, our friends. And, you know, people were, like you, people thought it was kind of a clever and creative way to get around the uh, restrictions that, that were placed on, on same-sex couples at that time. Yeah. I would love to ask you some memories about Bayard. I I hope it's not painful for me to pry in this way, but I was wondering if you had any favorite memories of him. I have learned about the work that Bayard did and the legacy that he has left. But what about your memories of him? Do you have any that you would want to share? Yeah, absolutely. My memories of him, of course, are very uh, personal and intimate. But, you know, people that, you know, people that knew him, of course, you know, share some of these memories with me. Uh, I think that the difference between what the public saw very often yes. on the news. Yes, exactly. Was, was very, was different because Bayard could be fierce. Bayard could be, uh, he was nonviolent, but that didn't mean you couldn't be militant. And it didn't mean you couldn't look at the camera and point your finger and shout or say something with authority. And he very often did that and had to do it. Oh, yeah. um, but I remember, you know, I remember a person, you know, who did those things, but also who was very gentle and warm and very loving and very open. And the people that worked for him, I think would say pretty much the same thing. I mean, he was really, uh, 
a generous person, a generous boss. Um, and I think you can kind of see that with the, the people that he worked with on the March on Washington. You know, he, he sat down and wrote out that manual. He had a lot of help, of course, but he knew how to mentor people and how to guide people and how to work with people. And that was one of the things that the young people who really worked with him on the march really found most appealing. He enabled them to grow into a job, grow into a title, grow into a role. And many of those people went on to play significant roles in still in our society. In terms of looking at your own relationship, do you think that your relationship with, with, with Bayard brought more attention to the lack of rights for LGBTQ couples at the time and even now? I wouldn't say that it did at the time, because as I said, you know, it wasn't, you know, very public information. But, you know, within, actually within four or five years of the adoption, he passed. He died in 1987. And I know in the news reports, some of the news reports, people referred to me as his adopted son, which, you know, that's the way, I mean, that was the legal, that was the legal relationship. I probably would have preferred that it said life partner or something like that, but those terms weren't even being commonly used at that time. But yeah, I mean, you know, it appeared that, you know, I was the person that he cared most about in the world. I think anybody that knew that, that knew us knew that. And certainly anybody that would read an account and see he left his estate to his adopted son, you know, if they knew anything about him at all, they would put two and two together. And yes. These, these two women lived together for 60 years. They were lifelong friends. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. That, yes. My, mm-hmm. my dear friend. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I see through this euphemism. It's very transparent. Excellent. What yeah, do you, you know, think? a lot of people don't. No, they don't. <laughs> a lot it's, of people didn't. They're really, and as a parent of a queer child, I am very gratified that he gets to grow up in a world where there are so many possibilities for him in his life. What do you think that Bayard would think of the fact that you can get married now, that there, that you can have the same sex marriage is legal in the United States and elsewhere? He would say, will you marry me? <laughs> no, he would. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no question. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean he would be he would be delighted that same-sex couples are able to get married and you know not just have a legal foundation for their relationship, but yeah. also you know there's a psychological legitimacy that comes along. With Absolutely. That. Whether yeah. you know whether we like that necessarily or think that it's even necessary or anything else, it's it's a reality. Yeah. It is a reality, and to have you know have um, I don't want, well. You know, to have the stamp of approval, perhaps, if you will, on a relationship is, you know, is important, is significant. You don't feel like you're outlaws anymore, if you will. Do you have any advice for people that you would give, especially things like uh, love or relationships or, you know, carrying the big L legacy word? You know, being in a relationship is sometimes is sometimes difficult, sometimes hard. Yeah. And I think... And this is something that probably most people don't want to hear or don't like to hear or don't like the idea of. But I think you, you always have to be willing to give. And you always have to be the one that's willing to compromise, perhaps, uh, apologize, perhaps, uh, give that little extra 
mile. And I think I was lucky in that I had somebody who believed the same thing. So we were always sort of trying to um, get out of each other's way or, or be, <laughs> you know, be affectionate and be forgiving and be loving. Um, yeah. I could see where it would be difficult if you were involved with somebody who wasn't like that. But I was, you know, I was lucky to have somebody who shared those, shared those ideas. Thank you so, so much for, for sharing your time with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. So what is your love to go? What do you take from this conversation into your day today? One thing I was thinking of while we were listening to Walter talk is that this workaround, this adult adoption workaround has been around for a while. And I like I knew about it. We used to talk about it in law school. And I don't think people understand how recent because the last seven years have been so accelerated in terms of all the things happening all at once. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I mean, 2015 was the Supreme Court case, Obergefell versus Hodges, where they struck down state's ability to discriminate based on, you know, what gender you were when you, when you got married and forcing all 50 states to recognize same-sex marriages as just as they do any other marriage. So my takeaway really is that love finds a way. Love finds a way. If you would like to tell us your love story, please send an email to lovestruckdaily at frolic.media. If you would like to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, we are at lovestruckdaily. And you can leave a review, subscribe, and spread the word about the show. And this is just the beginning. Keep listening all week as we re-release several incredible, sweet, and altogether lovely queer stories in celebration of Pride. Our researcher is Jesse Epstein. Our editor is Jen Jacobs. We are produced by Abigail Steckler and Little Scorpion Studios and Jillian Davis with executive producer Frolic Media. This is an iHeartRadio podcast. Wherever you are today, we wish you a very happily ever after. <laughs>